step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Pole Position Podcast. People wondering why tips are down at restaurants. I think I can go out on a limb. I think I can go out on a limb and answer that one. I will try that. Also, I must give a salute to a mentor and maybe one of the greatest radio people that ever graced the airwaves in Canada. Passed away. I share a story. I share a story. I share a story. Um, We'll get to the tipping in a bit because, God, it just feels like we're always talking about tipping. Uh, and people not wanting to tip, and restaurants changing how you tip, and people get upset. But there's a new study out that I think I have the answer for. I'm going to give you that in a second. But I wanted to mention this right out of the gates, and that is the uh, passing of the great Ed Needham. Now, I would imagine many in the podcast, some on the stream, twitch.tv slash frubar, some might remember Ed Needham. Others will say, who the heck is Ed Needham? Let me tell you this. Ed Needham was a force when it came to Canadian radio. Ed Needham, I met him when he did evenings at what was CFRB 1010, which of course is now called News Talk 1010. And I was 17 at the time. And I would be the guy on the board playing the music and the commercials and and all that kind of stuff. And Ed was dominant number one evening host in Toronto. Dominant. When I used to take a cab to work every once in a while, the radio station was at 2 St. Clair Avenue West. And if I got into a cab anywhere in Toronto and said 2 St. Clair Avenue West, the immediate question I would be asked was do you know Ed Needham because every cab driver at night listened to Ed Needham every once in a while I'd get do you know Andy Barry and sometimes Wally Crowder but those three that was always the big question and I was always very proud to be able to say yeah actually I I work on a show and as soon as people found out that I worked on the show and I said my name they're like oh you're that guy he makes fun of all the time Or you're the guy he yells at, (laughs) which is true. Ed was the definition of a professional. He passed away at 90. Ed lived in Ottawa, and he had an interesting life because he was originally from outside Boston. He ends up in Canada. He's a Viet, uh, Vietnam War correspondent for, I believe it was ABC or CBS. Comes back, gets into radio, uh, did talk radio in Ottawa, 
gets hauled into Toronto when they were converting CFRB at the time was still playing music and they were converting it to a talk station. So they put Ed in, in at night. And from there he exploded and, and, and dominated. And Ed at the time, when I rolled up into CFRB at 17 or 18 years old, Ed worked Monday to Friday and on Fridays they would fly him back to Florida because his wife and him lived in Florida. So they would fly him back to Florida. And while he was in Toronto, they put him up at a, they had an apartment for him and, you know, they paid for his meals and he had a limo to the airport and all that kind of stuff. Like it was a pretty sweet gig and he earned it. And, Eventually, over time, he just started going Monday to Thursday, and then he would fly back to Florida, and he'd be there for three days, and John Oakley would do Fridays, because John Oakley was always on after Ed Needham. But working with Ed was great because he understood the showmanship of radio. He understood that uh, callers yelling at him or yelling at each other or disagreeing with him made great radio. He understood the value of having a good position and defending it. He understood when to be the big bear and be mean and when to be the soft pussycat and be soft. He understood production values of music going in and out of breaks and and all that stuff. And I got to witness it all as a very young man, and I, I loved every minute of it. Now, I was very lucky because for whatever reason, Ed took a liking to me. And I don't know why. I'm going to guess it's because I was always very serious about everything being right, like he was. And partly I was like that because he was like that. And Ed's regular technical producer is a buddy of mine who was named Dave. And Ed basically got to the point where he told management that if Dave is not in that chair, John better be in that chair. And if it's not Dave or it's not John, I'm not doing the show because everyone else fucks it up. And I'm not interested in that. I want it to be right. So I got a lot of extra time being part of that show because Dave would go on vacation. He went to Australia at one point. So I I just got a lot of time sitting in that chair and learning at the University of Ed Needham. And. Ed would always give me extra time, like across the street from two St. Clair Avenue West. There used to be a bar. Uh, I, I would imagine there's still a bar there. It was called um, Chandler's, I believe, when we worked there. And they had like a rooftop patio and stuff. So every once in a while after after a show, uh, some of the guys would roll over there and we grab beer and wings and stuff. And every once in a while, we'd be lucky. Ed would come with us. And whenever Ed would come with us, inevitably it would end up with me and Ed having a conversation. And Ed, I don't know if this is the way he was. I don't know if I asked him the questions. I can't remember. But he would always sort of give me guidance of life. And I remember one time I asked him because his limo company was a limo company called Carry Limousine. And Carry Limousines would take Ed to and from the airport. And Carrie Limousines asked Ed, asked for Ed, to voice their commercials. To which Ed immediately said, no. And of course, everybody 
and even me was like, come on, Ed, they drive you to the airport, like just voice their commercials. It'd be nice for them. They're a customer. And, and I asked him about it and I said, I got to ask, why, why won't you do the Carrie limousine ads? And he said, the answer, John, is because it's in my contract that the radio station will provide me a limousine to and from the airport. That's in my contract. It's part of my deal. It's part of what I get paid. Nowhere in there does it say I'm supposed to voice the ads. If they want me to voice the ads, I, I get paid for voicing ads. Other companies pay me to voice their ads. So I'm not doing it because no one's offering to pay me. And Carrie Limousines is not doing me a favor by taking me to the airport. They're great people. They do a wonderful job. But they're not doing me a favor. They're hired by the radio station who's doing it because it's in my contract. And when he explained it like that, I was like, that makes sense to me. He also told me that one of the most important things in life is having confidence in yourself. And I can't remember how we got on the conversation, but we were talking about what would happen if he got fired. Or what happened if I got fired. And he said, you need to have confidence in yourself, in your ability, and in what you do. And if you're always worried about somebody's going to fire you, you're never going to be as great as you could be. And he got to that point because he was a war correspondent in Vietnam. And he came back and he got booted out because there's nothing else for him to do. And he said, I was driving taxi cabs. And when I drove taxi cabs, I realized that the broadcast companies were never, ever going to give a crap about me. They were only going to pay me for my ability and what my ability could bring them. And if I went in and just did what I do and was great at it, worked hard, you know, made sure I crossed all the T's and dotted the small case J's, the only way my job was ever going to be safe was if I was bringing in the numbers. And I believe I can do that. Put me on any radio station and I'll bring in the numbers. Because that's what I do. So I never worry about someone saying you're fired. Because it would be insane to fire me. Because I'll just go down the street and I'll rip him a new asshole. And Ed, Ed had that swagger and he also could do it. And then he told me what he called his fuck you factor. And I don't know if he called it that or if I named it that. But he, I just, I can remember this like it was yesterday. He said, at every given moment in your work career, if you believe in what you do and you're good at what you do, you can have what I call the fuck you factor, which is your boss comes in and ask you to do something that's not in your contract, that's not for the betterment of the program, and you can tell them to fuck off. And they won't fire you because you are actually the product they need to have to sell. And when you get to that point in your career, that's when you'll finally be successful. And he goes, I'm not suggesting you got to go around and tell everyone to F off. And I'm not suggesting you can't be amenable and help out and be a good team player. I'm just saying you'll find in broadcasting 
there are some greasy people that will ask you to do things and try and do it under the guise of teamwork or come on, do one for the station. Look at all what we do for you. And he says, no, that's not how I play. I do something for you. You pay me for it. And there we go. We move on. Uh, so I always loved working with Ed. My, there are many great Ed Needham stories, uh, some that involve other talk show hosts, <laughs> some that involve the president of the company. But my personal Ed Needham story and, and why I, I love the man so much was one day we were standing in the hallway and Ed turned to me and his, his office was across from the operations manager's office. And Ed's show started at 7 o'clock. So it was probably about 6.10. And I was milling around the radio station. I wasn't working on Ed's show that night. But I was just hanging out, so I stopped by his office to say hi to him. And Ed came out, and we were standing in the hallway. And he said, John, I'm going to tell you something right now. Look down that hallway. And when you look down one hallway at CFRB at the time, it, the end of the hallway was the newsroom. And at the other end was the sales office. So he turns to the sales office and he says, look at that sales office, John. That's where you should go. That's where you should be because they make a ton of money. They get free suits and free cars and free trips and like that's where you should be. Now, he thought he was giving me advice. Now, keep in mind, I, I'm, I'm young and dumb. So I say to Ed realizing that he lives in Florida, he makes six figures, he gets a limo to and from the airport, an apartment, he only works four days a week, which when you're 18, 19 years old, like that sounds like a pretty good gig. I turn to Ed and I say, well, Ed, you know, I could handle your gig. And I meant it like, Ed, like you got a sweet gig too, not at least salespeople got a great gig, but Ed Needham's got a pretty good gig too. But that's not how, how Ed Needham took it. Ed looked at me, and his, his face changed. He goes, you think you can do my job? I said, well, no, Ed, that's, that's not what he said. He goes, you think you can do what I do? I said, Ed, that's, that's not what I'm saying. He goes, I'll tell you right now what's going to happen. You're going to go do my show. And the operations manager was standing right there. And Ed looked at him, and he goes, you understand? And he's like, it's your show, Ed. And Ed goes, yep. John, I'm going back into my office, and um, you're doing the show. I'm like, well, what am I talking about? He goes, I don't know. It's not my show. It's your show. And he walks in his office and closes the door. So I walked down to the master control, and I, I said to myself, I have two choices here. I can go and do Ed's show and not back down to him, or I can put my tail between my legs, legs run back there and say ed i can't do the show you're the best you know and as inspired by ed needham i said fuck this guy i'm doing the show so i walk into the master control and in master control is my buddy dave and richard serrett richard serrett answered the phone calls he was a producer of the show uh great guy richard now does a show on uh saga 960 and he does a conspiracy show. He fills in for uh, George Nury on Coast to Coast all the time. Great guy. And I walk in. I said, guys, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I tell them the story. And I said, Ed says I'm doing his show at 7. Will you guys help me out? 
I need some things to talk about. Now, it's, it's now like 10 to 7. And they both look at me, and they look at each other, and they're like, John, we want no part of this. This is not going to end well. Uh, we are not going against Ed. That's not happening. You are on your own. So I'm like, fuck, thanks, boys. And they did it in a nice way. I walk into the newsroom, and Brett Coppin is working. And Brett Coppin, unfortunately, has passed away. Great newscaster and a great guy. I'm like, Brett, I'm doing Ed's show. I need some things to talk about. And he goes, why are you doing Ed's show? I tell him the story. He goes, not talking. John, I'm having nothing to do with this. This is not going to end well. So I have a moment. It's like five minutes to seven. And I'm like, I, I got a choice to make here. I, if I go do this show, Dave, Richard, and, and, and Brent, all, all guys that I loved, have basically said, you are basically going to fuck yourself over if you do this. But I was like, no, I got to do it. I, like, if this is how I go out. If this is how I go out, it's a, it's a story for the ages. So I decided I was going in. So I'm walking out the hallway where you walk. You walked. You can see for those watching on Twitch, I have a picture up, but there's a door right there. There was another door directly across. That door goes into the newsroom and there's a news booth over here. And then I would sit. Ed would be looking at me and there's a door over here. So I walk out the door of the, the master control. I'm walking towards the door for this studio and uh, Ed's coming around the corner. And he's like, you're doing this, aren't you? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing it. He goes, you sure? I'm like, yep. He goes, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sit in master control. And when you're drowning, all you have to say is, Ed, I need your help, and I'll come in. I said, all right, no problem, Ed, thanks. So I go in, and now I'm sitting in the studio. And if you're watching on twitch.tv slash fruitbar, you can see the picture I'm showing. And Ed is in the picture. But that was me sitting in that chair, shitting bricks. And Brent's reading the news now, and I have the headphones on, and I hear Brent reading the news, and Dave comes over the talk back in my ears like, Johnny, you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, 100%, let's do it. Anything special you want me to do? Uh, just Dave, just do whatever Ed does. I'll make it up from there. He's like, good luck, buddy. Richard's like, you're crazy. So Ed's show always started with the William Tell Overture, right? And Ed would come on and he'd be like, yeah, and screaming and like just, or he'd come on really quiet. Like it was always a show. And like literally you could, like when Ed went on the air and that theme came on, you could feel it in Toronto. You could feel it. If you were listening to the radio and you heard, you knew Ed was going to come on with something brilliant and you were fucking waiting for it. When, you, when I was sitting in the studio looking at him, I was waiting for it. So now it's playing and I know that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are waiting to hear Ed and they're going to fucking hear me. So I came on and just kind of did I have the tape I should load it up as a podcast sometimes 
I just came on and said, hey, you know, uh, where the hell's Ed? You know, why isn't Ed here? Who am I? Who are you? Why are we all here? And then I sort of said, look, you guys, you guys kind of know me. Ed's always yelling at me. My name's John. And Ed just told me that I, I couldn't do his show and I couldn't back down to Ed Needham. So here I am. I'm doing his show. And then I basically said, so open lines. I only had five minutes to prepare for this show. Ed's expecting me to fail. So if you've ever wanted to prove Ed Needham wrong, this is your time. And I knew by saying that, that there were enough people that hated Ed. Because the audience that listened to Ed were people that adored him and people that hated him. And I, I just knew there were enough people that would jump in on the bit or just would want to get on the air because they know Ed would never let him on the air that I probably would. I said, so that's what we're going to do. 872-1010. 1-800-561-CFRB. Prove Ed wrong. That's our. That's all we're doing. Any topic you got, let's go, blah, blah, blah. I think I hit a couple things in the news. I can't remember. And I said, so we'll take your calls next. It's John Paul Infrared Needham. 872-1010-CFRB-1010. Boom, we go to spots. Of course, I'm sweating. It's exhilarating. And I look over, and in this picture, you can see there's a phone bank right here. That phone bank, if I recall, had about 15 lines. We had two toll-free lines and I think 12 or 13 other 872-1010 numbers. And when I looked down at it, it exploded like a KISS concert. Every line, one after another, bing, 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 jammed. And I look over and I see Richard, and at the time Richard wore like one of those Time Life things and i just see him going cfrb 1010 please hold cfrb 1010 please hold and then there's a computer screen that's in front of you where richard's putting up bills on line one wants to talk about golf dave's on line two wants to talk hates ed needham wants to talk to you so we come back you know New, cfrb 1010 this is the ed needham show into yeah it's john and for ed 872-1010 we're proving ed needham wrong he said I couldn't do a show. Screw Ed. I'm doing it. Uh, CFRB 1010, you're on the air. First caller. John, I love your show. You're way better than Ed. It's about time he's gone and he gets replayed with some youth. Thanks for the call. CFRB 1010, you're on the air. Next person's like, you know, oh, my God, it's a brush of fresh air. Ed is so old and tired and stale. Like, literally everyone's in on the joke. Um, and so it just goes on. So it's now... Uh, it's now like uh, going to the news. So then we do the whole first half hour. It comes to the news. And back then, uh, at the 7.30 news, the, the host would say, uh, this is News Talk 1010 in Toronto. It's 7.30. Time for the news. Here's Brent Coppin. So I do that flawlessly because, I, I, you know, again, I've seen, I sat, sat in these shows for years. I, I could, the radio station was burned in my memory. Um, so Brent does the news. And at the end of the news, Brent... Always throws it back. I'm Brent Coppin. News every 30 minutes. Bulletins at once. Now back to the Ed Needham show. But that's how it ends. And then Ed Needham comes back on. So Ed's now sitting in the studio with me. Because during the news, he came in. He goes, you're doing a good job. You know, it's actually, uh, it's actually not bad. It's way better than I thought. I'm like, thanks, Ed. And like that was as good a compliment as I could have expected. Like, honestly. 
So, of course, it's great now because my man Brent Coppin, who at the beginning wouldn't help me, finishes his newscast with news every 30 minutes, bulletins at once. I'm Brent Coppin. Now back to the John Pohl Show. And the music comes on and Ed jumps in. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, I, of course, now Ed and I are, are I'm like, Ed, get off. It's my show. You said I did. you weren't going to come in till I needed your help. Ed, I don't need your help. No one wants to talk to you. I have a full line of calls. No one wants to talk to Ed Needham. Everyone wants to talk to me. And Ed, Ed's, like, just throwing, like, like he's like, sounds like college radio. And I talk for a few seconds. He goes, it sounds like 590, the fan. And I talk for a few moments. He goes, it sounds like middays here on CFRB. Like, he literally just keep throwing these rubes in. Uh, and then finally, he, like, we talk back and forth. He's like, hey, look, you did a good job, but uh, get out. It's my show. Let's go. <laughs> and I walked out of that studio. So I walk out of there at, say, 745. And the show's still going on, so I can't go into master... Well, I could go into master control, but the show's still going on. So I couldn't go in and talk about what the hell just happened with those guys because they were still doing the show. And I walked out in this little hallway. And look, I've, I've never done meth. I've never done heroin or cocaine. I've never done shots all night till my mind is blown out. Like, I'm a pretty hip-to-be-square kind of guy. But I can tell you that that moment was the moment I said, this is the shit I need to be doing every day of my life. Because how that felt right in there, watching those callers react, being part of all of that. And again, I was always part of it in a different way. I was just like, this is the greatest place on earth. And it, it, it was for sure. Um, and it was great. And what was cool is, uh, you know, back then they didn't do re-rolls and that, but they had a, a segment where they kind of did best moments of the week. And they put that in. And how they did the best moments of the week is like the best moments played. And then some of the other talk shows kind of talked about it. So they all talked about it and said, oh, John's a good guy. And that was really funny. And we can't believe Ed did that. And like, it was just a good bit. And then from then on, anytime I went places and I said, oh, yeah, I'm John. They'd be like, oh, you're the guy. Which showed the power of that radio station. So I, Ed left, Ed retired, and I was very lucky that Ed's very last show that he did, he did at Louis, Louis Bar and Grill, which is one of his buddies, and he did the show live from that restaurant, and I got to be right beside him, producing the show beside him. Uh, so like I had like, you know, I was talking back to the radio station and giving him notes and all that kind of stuff, but I was right beside him. And like CTV was there and Global was there and all these major news organizations were there and they were covering it because it was Ed Needham's last show. So like if you if you ever find the video, I'm sure it's probably on YouTube somewhere. Like there I am sitting right beside Ed Needham. And of course, I appreciated that and Ed appreciated it uh, because we'd kind of become buddies. And Ed retired. And when Ed retired, John Oakley moved up to 7 to 10. And again, I loved working with John Oakley, too. So I got to work with John Oakley a whole bunch. And Oakley and I went to uh, the Dominican Republic and uh, Republic on a trip where we took listeners. That audio is actually on the podcast list somewhere. I think it's called Radio Nerd Audio or something. But if you go through the podcast, you can hear that. Uh, the audio is not great because it was in the 90s, I guess. Uh, so the audio quality is not great, but it was a great show. And I always love working with John Oakley, too. And John Oakley was almost um, the same level of Ed Needham, but a totally different style. Like, Ed was 
kind of the master, whereas John was more of the joker. And I don't say that in a disparaging way because John is a super smart guy, probably one of the best interviewers in Canada. He just he had a he had a different uh, his showbiz was jokes, wowing you with his intelligence, uh, moving the show along. Like he just had a different way he entertained you than Ed did. Uh, and I loved working with him. And then when I left the radio station, of course, Ed retired. He went off to Florida. And, you know, kind of no one really heard from him. I know he came back and he did a couple days uh, at AM 640 in the afternoons. And my buddy Jim Koshan worked with him. And Jim worked at News Talk 1010 with me. And he's a great guy as well. And flash forward a whole bunch of years. I now live where I live outside of Ottawa. And Ed was living in Ottawa. And... I didn't know he was living in Ottawa, and I, I read it somewhere, like, I did a deep search for Ed Needham online, and of course, because he's an older guy, he he's not online, like, there aren't archives and archives about him, there's a few little stories, uh, because that's just not his time, and I found out that Ed was living in Ottawa, and I got his email, and I can't remember how I got his email, from from someone, or maybe it was on a website, I don't know. But I sent him an email. I said, hey, Ed, it's John. I don't know if you remember me, but I produced your show in the 90s. and um, I just wanted you to know that, uh, you know, I think about you all the time, and you're a great influence on me. So I hit send. And Ed sent me back a note almost immediately. He's like, oh, my God, John, so great to hear from you. I'm glad you're doing well. And I was glad that he responded because then I immediately responded and said, Ed, I just want you to know something. Like, first of all, I live outside Ottawa, so let's go for lunch. Like, let's get together and we'll go for lunch. Uh, but I want you to know something. You know, I'm a very successful radio broadcaster. Very successful. And at that time, I was also doing talk shows on News Talk 1010 and CJD. I said, I do these talk shows on News Talk 1010 and CJD. Um, I filled in on, you know, affiliates in the U.S. that are simulcast across the U.S., network shows. And all of that is because of you. The success I have in this industry is because of you, because working with you inspired me to want to be great. It inspired me to expect a certain level of professionalism from the people around me. Um, it showed me what great radio can do to people listening and being involved. And I just, I just want you to know that you really mean a lot to me, and I really appreciate it. And he sent me back a nice note and said, that's great. You know, I'm an older guy now, and I don't get out a lot. But I do go to Ottawa when I have some doctor's appointments. So the next time, I'll let you know and we can meet for lunch and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we exchanged emails a couple times where he was going out and I couldn't make it or vice versa. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I didn't really hear anything. And I was like, oh, you know. And, I, of course, I was busy just, you know, trying to stay alive and keep my family safe and business safe. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, these sorts of luxury conversations and luncheons fell right to the wayside. And then I just saw that he passed away uh, at 90. And in the obituary, they said he went out for dinner and had lobster with his family, which he loved to do. And um, he died shortly after at 90. Uh, that's a pretty good run. That's a good run. So, Ed Needham, I hope you rest in peace, my man. Uh, I have many audio recordings of you that I put in a cassette player every once in a while and listen to and just uh, admire the hell out of the, the stuff you put on the radio every single day. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, a couple things he did. One thing he said, I remember a young lady called once and said, you know, Ed, I, I'm not sure what to do with my life. I'm going to school and I'm thinking about doing this. And like she just called randomly out of nowhere, kind of needing some guidance. And his reply to her was, look, 
I'm going to tell you one thing, young lady. Uh, act like a lion, get treated like a lion. Act like a mouse, get treated like a mouse. That's it. That's life. Uh, I remember him saying that like it was yesterday. And the other thing he did, I love the bit he did. He came back from vacation. And, of course, in those days, you know, everybody had a mail bin. And in those days, someone like Ed Needham would get a ton of mail from listeners and people trying to get uh, books on the air and, uh, you know, PR firms reaching out for him for things. So he had all this mail. So he opened his mail on the air. That was his first segment, opening my mail on the air. And literally, I just remember he'd open it. Like, I, was, I must have been, I don't know if I was in the station or if I was working that night. But he, he would open it and he'd be like, oh, oh, this is from an author. He wants me to interview him on my show. And then you just hear thunk him throwing the book in the garbage can, which he actually did. He's like, no, Andy Barry would do that. But I don't do that stuff on my show. And then the next one was, oh, here's one's from the uh, 4-H club. Uh, they'd like me to talk about their fundraising pancake dinner that's coming up. Um, no, I would never do that. Wally Crowder would do that, but I would never do that. He just goes through every piece of mail and basically slashes and burns everyone on the radio station saying, no, I wouldn't do that, but you would do that. So, uh, yeah, great, great times. Ed, Ed was just such a great character. Just such a great character. And maybe I lucked out because his wife lived in Florida. You know, I might have lucked out because he just needed a buddy. Because, he, you know, he, I mean, he had lots of friends. But, I mean, every once in a while, like after the show, if you want to grab a beer or something, the, the, the pool of people to hang out with was pretty small. <laughs> I just happened to be in that pool. Uh, so may he rest in peace, uh, the great Ed Needham. And if I, I know I have the audio of the night I did his show. I know 100% I have it. I should find it, and I may have already converted to digital. I don't know. But I will put that up as a podcast just so that you can laugh at a very young-sounding John Poole. Uh, yeah, Ed Needham, man. What a great guy. What a great guy. And just such a great character, too. Just such a great character. All right, let's uh, get to some uh, real stuff. Drew in the chat is saying, if you find it, send it to me. Drew, I'm not going to send it to you. I'm going to make it a podcast so people download it and can listen to it whenever they want. But if you want to believe I'm just sending it to you, Drew, you believe that. Okay. <laughs> um, here's the thing that worries me. I don't hear a lot of Ed Needham's on the radio anymore. I just don't. It's like a lot of like, hey, let's just grab a random person and put them on. Like having a political opinion, there's lots of people that have those. But to be able to deliver it in an entertaining way, to be able to tell the story and set it up, it's not that fucking easy. It takes a certain uh, ability. And, you know, it's funny, you know, Joey just said, hey, yeah, remember there used to be a guy like that on CJD. Um, it's true. Like, one of the reasons I cut through on CJD was, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, I was so much better than what I replaced. And I was better because I had all that work ethic behind me, right? I had, I had the bits and the ideas and the angles. And look, I'm not suggesting we, we hit everyone out of the ballpark. We didn't. But in radio, you only have to hit one or two out of the ballpark every night. And if the other ones are kind of sacrifice flies, that's okay. And the problem with a lot of talk radio is they just take a couple people and they throw them in there and they think they just should talk about whatever is in the news because that's what they think talk radio is, and it's not. Talk radio is about entertaining someone 
um, so that they stay in their car to find out what's going to happen next. And I can tell you, I have not sat in my car listening to any sort of radio to find out what's going to happen next in a long time. Howard Stern had that ability. Phil Hendry had that ability. John Oakley had that ability. Ed Needham had that ability. I know I had that ability to a degree because I got a lot of emails where people said, man, you made me sit in my car. My wife got mad at me. She looked outside. She thought I had a heart attack. Like, I'd hear those stories all the time. Um, so, I mean, I know that we, we accomplish that. Maybe not to the same level of those guys, but in a smaller scope for sure. Uh, you know, I, I just haven't heard that in a while. And again, when you say, you know, is there trouble in radio? That's the trouble in radio. It's, it's not the radio. It's not the delivery mechanism. It's not, are there enough people interested in radio? It's none of that. It's, is there something coming out of the box that matters? Uh, Drew wants to know who was on before me. Who was on before me? I took over from what was called The Exchange, uh, and Dave Kaufman and um, Dan Delmar hosted that. I don't think they hosted it together. I think they hosted it like Dan did a couple nights, and then Dave did a couple nights. And again, those guys are good guys. They're good broadcasters. I've just seen, like at that time, I think Dave's a lot different now. He was much younger then. Um, and Dave actually sent me a very nice note saying, hey, when I saw how you did your show, it changed how I did my show. Uh, because at that time, literally, I, I would wa I watched them one night, and I was like, they have no notes. <laughs> they have no notes. And they're recycling all these interviews they did 10 years ago. What, what's even going on? So, um, and again, that's just, they were allowed to do it, so it's not even on them. They, you know, the guys in charge thought it was fine. But as I said, we took that show, we were almost number two, 2554, which is unheard, unheard of at night on AM. Um, up against FMs. So, and, and the last time I checked, uh, when what's his name was on, what's that guy's name? How soon we forget? Uh, uh, Jamil, Jamil, uh, Jamil had securely locked them into the six number six. TSN was beating them. Horrible. That's embarrassing, is what that is. That's embarrassing. Okay. Anyhow, I've, <laughs> in my opinion, that's embarrassing. Other people might think six is good. I thought two was good. Anyhow, that's just me. No one else cares. So let's move on. Uh, there's a big complaint. They did a big survey. You may have seen this. Uh, there was a story in CTV did it, and I think maybe Charles Sun did it, uh, about this restaurant in Ottawa. They're changing the way they pay their servers so there's no more tips. We've heard this before. By the way, when we hear that story, we never hear how it ends. Like, does it end with the restaurant being closed down? Or does it end with it all working out? I've never heard the end of that story. But, of course, uh, like everything, there's a survey for everything. They did a survey on tippers and some people now believe that americans are now tipping worse post-covid than they did before i always thought americans were way better tippers than canadians because we're you know notoriously cheap and americans love to tip they they're always handing out cash as tips like they tip people i never thought about tipping sometimes i feel awkward when i'm in the united states because i don't know when i'm supposed to tip anyhow they did this survey and they said you know what americans we're getting bad at tipping People aren't liking it. 73% of people said they always tip at a sit-down restaurant, and that's down from 77% before the pandemic. 57% said they tip food delivery people. That's down to 63%. Or, uh, that's down from 63%. So before the pandemic, 63% of people were tipping the food delivery people. Now it's only 57%. And you can go through this whole survey, and people lie about all their things they tip and they don't tip. I don't know about you, but I... I I try and tip 20%. It's easy math. 
and I don't want anyone to be mad at me. It's really that simple. And when you host a big highfalutin podcast like I do, you don't want to, you know, have someone go, oh, that's the guy from the pole position podcast. What a cheap son of a bitch. No, you know, I got a brand to build here. Uh, and seriously, that's, that's kind of what I try and do. But here's the thing. When people are complaining about tipping, I'm just going to step outside the bottle for a second. And I'm going to actually make a comment that might offend some people, but I think someone needs to be straight. Someone needs to give the facts. Tipping might be down because service is at an all-time low. Tipping might be down because some servers are really shitty at their jobs. Tipping might be down because the customer is trying to send you a message that you need to be better. That is why I think tipping is down. I believe that there is a empathy that exists amongst customers right now because we all know that uh, many businesses are struggling to find people. We know that the food service business probably has hit the hardest. So we know they're struggling to find people. We know that people are working double shifts and maybe a, a waitress or a waiter used to do 10 tables and now they're doing 15. We understand that. So we're, we're trying to be as forgiving as we can. But there are just some people that it's not even that they're not good. It's that they're fucking horrible. Like they're not even a good person. <laughs> like I'll, I'll take... I'll take a young person who's just a lovable fuck up and I can give them a pass. But there are some people that they walk around like they deserve the tip and they're shitty at their job. I would like to ask the guy and or gal who frequently gets a lot of tips if they've noticed a difference. Because my guess is the majority of people that are great at what they do probably have not noticed a difference. That's my guess. So I throw that out there. There's this uh, woman. Her name is uh, Renee Forrestal. She is a, a fine young Canadian woman. She wanted to go roller skating. Now, we all like to go down memory lane. I just went down mem memory lane with Ed Needham and my stories and whatnot. So I, I get that some people just they like to go down memory lane. Her memory lane, Renee decided she wanted to go roller skating. Which I think in 2022, that's not an easy thing to do, like finding somewhere to go roller skating. So anyway, um, she'd been outside practicing, I guess, on the street or an outdoor hockey rink or something. But the, this roller skate she had just didn't fit right. So she went online to like Kijiji or Craigslist, one of those places. And she saw somebody was selling a pair of roller skates, 40 bucks, which seems really high to me. For some old roller skates, but she's like, hey, 40 bucks, yeah, I'll, I'll take them, that's a good deal. So a couple days later, she goes to pick them up at the person's home. And she's trying them on, and she it's, you know, puts them on, and they just feel right. They feel right. And when she flips back the tongue, she realizes these are her roller skates. Her name is written on the inside of the roller skates. This is kind of like when, you know, the dog is lost and then comes home years later, but the roller skates. Uh, she said she started to cry a little bit. 
because like that moment, it took her right back to her youth. And as crazy as the concept of roller skating 40 years after you should be roller skating is to me, I know exactly what she means. Because again, just spending a few moments telling those Ed Needham stories, it took me right back to my youth. I'm sure if I had that audio and we pressed play, man, I'd probably, I guarantee I'd tear up a bit. Hearing Ed's voice, hearing my young stupid voice and whatnot. The uh, seller, <laughs> the seller is the best part because the seller's name is James Bond. Now, holy fuck, do I got questions for that guy. I don't even care about the roller skates anymore. The guy who sold her the roller skates, his name was James Bond. <laughs> like, how much 007 references does that guy get in a day? Uh, he said, look, it filled my heart with a lot of joy. What filled his heart with a lot of joy was getting 40 bucks for a pair of rolled shitty roller skates. He's lucky he got $4 for them. Isn't that funny? What I what I love about that story is it's just we're all like this, right? We all we all try and do something we used to be able to do. Like my kids water ski all the time. Like we got the boat, you know, water skiing. My kids are always like, Dad, why don't you go water skiing? And I used to water ski all the time, all the time. And, you know, I'm going to toot my own heart. Toot, toot. I was pretty good at it. You know, one ski started on one ski, you know, big, big waves, the whole deal. I was pretty good at it. But I was pretty good at it when I was like 15 and 16. At 47, my fear is, you know, breaking a leg or smashing my face off the water and not being able to go to work or something. Like, I got people that depend on me now. But the idea of throwing on that water ski and going for a rip, oh, in my mind, I can do it. But there is one small part of me that goes, you can't do it. Like, we have a, a rope swing. At her cottage, like it's out on an island. And, you know, the kids crawl up the rock face, they grab the rope swing, and they swing out over and drop in the lake. And, you know, my, my buddy came over. I was like, hey, we're going to the rope swing. Let's go. And he's like, I'm not doing that shit. I'm like, why not? And he's like, dude, I'm like almost 50. I'm not doing that. I'm like, I'm doing it. And I was like, I crawled up there like, oh, I'm in great shape. Let's go. I get the rope and I wheel back. And I look down and I, I see all the rock. Like the kids only see the water. Right. That's the great thing about being a kid. You only see the water as an adult. You only see the rocks. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I only see the rocks. And they're like, come on, man. What are you waiting for? I'm like, guys, I, I you know me. Rocks are here. I, I, I can't. My wife's like, don't do it. I'm like, oh, sorry, guys. My wife won't let me do it. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I roller skating might be slightly less dangerous, but it's also crazy to try and wheel back into after a long hiatus do you get the disco music i mean i remember going roller skating as a kid that like captain and tenille were always the songs that were playing love love will keep us together uh, the disco lights and everything it's wonderful uh meanwhile this is an interesting bit of technology uh i don't use apple phones you guys know i use blackberry uh i'm a fine canadian young man I use my BlackBerry. I have a key to it's great. It's wonderful. I don't have a reason to have an Apple. Uh, but this this woman, uh, Galen Morris, she was arrested because I guess on Apple's there's a thing called Apple Tag. 
an Apple tag allows you to follow people kind of like a GPS. And this woman was following her boyfriend. She rolled into a bar, Tilly's Pub, where her boyfriend was showing up on the app. He was at the Tilly's Pub. So she was going in there because she figured he was cheating, right? And she rolls in and is armed with an empty wine bottle. Now, we have to realize there's a reason that bottle's empty. (laughs) This is a pissed off, wind up lady, ready for a country song. Uh, She rolls in there ready to beat up the other woman. She swings the bottle at the woman, but luckily her boyfriend was there. He kind of intercepted the folks at the uh, bar then say, hey, you three have to leave. Uh, on the way out, she attacks her boyfriend and uh, tries to run over him with his car. <laughs> she did the old back over him and then pull, pull forward and hit him again move. And then she went after the woman. Uh, the police rolled up there and um, they arrested her. She's in hot water. Uh, the best part was uh, <laughs> the woman said, uh, I didn't really see what happened in the parking lot because I, I was waiting for my food order. <laughs> like, can you imagine all that shit's going down? This guy you're dating, you're like, ooh, this is pretty crazy, but uh, I did order some uh, jalapeno peppers. I got to get those things. Yeah, good point, uh, Joey, in the chat. Joey says uh, she sounds lovely. I don't know why she why this guy's cheating on her. <laughs> it reminds me of Wayne's World. Remember Wayne's World where uh, the girl... You know, she keeps saying, uh, hey, Wayne. And he's like, we broke up months ago. (laughs) That's what this reminds me of. They probably already broke up and the guys moved on. And meanwhile, she's not having any of it. She's not having any of it. Not big news coming soon. Great news. In other news. In other news. In other news. All right. In other news uh, stories. We should discuss, share with your family and friends. Uh, If you have Amazon Prime, that means you have a free Twitch subscription. Roll on over to twitch.tv slash fruitbar and uh, link that to your Prime. Jeff Bezos sends me $4. It costs you nothing because you've already paid for it. It's part of your deal. So if you could do that, support the podcast, support our stream, it'd be appreciated. If not, just give us a follow, twitch.tv slash fruitbar, and you'll get notifications every time we go live. Now, if you are a... uh, a fan of the things that I do, uh, whether it was on the radio or here in the podcast, you, you probably know that when it comes to Christmas music, my favorite Christmas song, it's it's Mariah Carey, and all I want for Christmas is you. So I was a little shocked because Mariah Carey is now being sued by Andy Stone. Andy Stone says he co-wrote and recorded a song called All I Want for Christmas is You in 1989, five years before Mariah released her track with the same title. He recorded his version under the name Vince Vance and the Valettes. The song received a frequent rotation on country radio and adult contemporary radio through the 90s. He is seeking $20 million now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play 
the songs for you. You can decide yourself. I do have to ask the question, which is this. Uh, she released a song in 1994. We are now in 2022. The song is notoriously the most played Christmas song on radio every single year and has been for decades. So my question to Andy Stone is, where in the fuck have you been? <laughs> How are you just realizing now that, wait a minute, she copied my song. How are you just figuring that out now? It doesn't make any sense. I don't trust Andy Stone. This guy has been living under a rock. That's the only thing that would make sense. Now, he doesn't allege that her song sounds like his, only that she took the name and the subject matter. Okay? That's what he's suing for. You took my idea. So here's his song. Now, because it was so popular, you probably already know this song, right? This is his song. See if you agree. Okay, sounds nothing like it. Nothing like Mariah Carey. Nothing like Mariah Carey. Silver bells on string. If I wrote a letter to Santa Claus, cause all I want for Christmas is you. Cause all I want for Christmas is you. Uh, that sounds like a crossover hit from 1985 sweet sounds of the Ottawa Valley all I want for Christmas that's Vince Vance and the Valiance <laughs> okay and then of course like if you want to compare it because we should want to compare it this of course is you know Mariah Carey Chat, are we giving this guy any money? I'll just tell you right now. Uh, here's my take on it. I- I'm not giving this guy any money. Number one, I'm not giving him money because, in my opinion, he's waited way too long. Second, I like Mariah Carey's song so much, I don't give a shit about his song. His song is so horrible, it's on the B-side of a shitty independent Christmas record. Like, no. I'm sorry. I'm sticking with Mariah. Correct answer. Think I'm right there? Nah, I'm... I'm, I'm if we're going to the uh, Bodog bet line on this one, I'm betting... I'm betting on Mariah Carey. Okay? That's it. Uh, meanwhile, in the rock and roll world, uh, Alec John Such was the uh, bassist for Bon Jovi. Died over the weekend. He was 70, which, if you're like me, the first thing I said was, holy crap, someone from Bon Jovi was 70? God damn, that makes me feel old. Here's the thing. He's 10 years older than John Bon Jovi, who's 60. 
and what was fascinating about his story, because, I mean, obviously I loved Bon Jovi when they first came out. I remember I bought Slippery When Wet, Daytona Beach, Florida. It was so exciting. I was like, oh, my God, this band's crazy. Of course, they weren't being played in Canada yet because they weren't a certified hit. On the radio, I-100, the boss of the beach, Daytona Beach, they're playing Bon Jovi every third song. I was like, God, this band's great. Went to Walmart. We didn't have Walmart in Canada at that time. I was like, oh, my God, this store's amazing. I went in the record section. Boom, boom, boom. You guys know what happens when I look for records? I have to take a poop. I don't know why that is. I go take a poop. I come back. Boom, there it is. Slippery one wet. I buy the cassette. I went out to my mom's van. She had a safari van, which GMC safari van. It's a kind of a block van. And I remember I got in. And I looked at the tape. I said, Mom, I'm putting this in. I don't know what it's going to be like. It might be a little bit too rocky for you. Boom. Shot through the heart. Love that band. Right? This guy's playing the bass. Right. This is this is his uh, intro, the big intro bass living on the prayer. Probably never thought about the bass before the power bass line. There he is on the bass, right? So guys died. The guy's dead. Here's the thing. I was like, I don't remember this guy at all. I don't, like, I don't remember his name very much, but he retired. Uh, from the band in 1994. So he was with them from 83 to 94. He just said he was burned out and it felt like work and he didn't want to work. That's why he got into a, a rock and roll band. What's interesting to me about this guy is uh, the record company faked his age, right? Because he was um, 10 years older than everyone else. So they all said, oh, no, he's the same age as everyone else. Like They just pretended that he wasn't 10 years older. And he said the greatest thing was uh, his younger sister then became his older sister like all the media would say oh that's his older sister meanwhile his sister's like wait a minute i'm his younger sister why are you making me old <laughs> uh, at the height of the bon jovi uh, success they interviewed this guy and he talked about their rise to greatness oh i always dreamt i was going to be a rock and roll star this big no but uh, you know this is like phenomenally big you know you go from Okay, 8 million in the United States, and then you look, the next one on the chart is like 3 million or 2 million or something. You know, there's a big jump there. It's actually hard to believe how big Bon Jovi is. I can tell you, in years of radio research, where you, you ask listeners stuff they like about radio, um, a lot of years I would always ask the question, what's the one band you want to see in concert or musical act? And we would ask that question because we'd always say, like, if this band was coming into town, make sure we have tickets because if our audience wants to see them, we want to know which tickets we need to have to give away. And I can tell you we did it, oh, 10 years in a row. Bon Jovi was always number one. Always number one. And I always thought it'd be like the Stones or ACDC or Shania Twain or Garth Brooks or someone like that, you know, it's kind of like it's special that they tour. It was always Bon Jovi. Always Bon Jovi. That he's right. When they blew up as a big band, he, they blew up as a big band. All right. One more story. And just because it's Florida and just because it's recalculous, uh, a Florida driver <laughs> in an SUV receiving oral sex from his passenger crashed head on into a FedEx delivery truck. Uh, luckily, no one was killed, but it did result in, quote, injuries to his private area. Isn't that like that Robin Williams movie, um, The World According to Garp? Wasn't there like that exact scenario in that movie and, you know, the member got bit off? Do I have that movie right? 
Uh, there was aerial footage showing the uh, SUV occupants being treated at the scene. And when, <laughs> when they were being treated at the scene, so imagine like there's a car crash and, you know, the vehicles are shattered. There's pieces all over. They've got the people out. They're lying on the ground. Um, the two people from the SUV were being treated. Uh, both of them had their pants around their ankles. So at least it was a give and receive deal. Oh, I always dreamt I was going to be a rock and roll star. Oh, no, that, that's the wrong rock and roll star. No, 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 no. no. Uh, this is, we want to hear the TV. Yeah. As for what caused the crash, we well, police say the female passenger was performing sex acts on the driver, causing him to lose control and hit this FedEx truck. This happened on North Ocean Boulevard and 19th Street. We're told the pair had minor injuries. <laughs> She sounds like a little bit impressed reading that story. Like she has a little smile in her read. Or is that just me? Bottom line this, for safety's sake, I just remind you, it's, it's, you know, wait till you get home. It's not safe. Keep your eyes on the road and your hands up on the wheels. That's the answer. That's always the answer. We learned that from the doors. Doors are never wrong. They're only right. We've done enough talking. Are you done? done? I'm done. Yeah. And it's done. Okay. Done. Are you done? We made it. I appreciate you spending time with the Pole Position Podcast. You're always welcome to reach out. I love your feedback. Nightside at email.com. On Twitter at John Paul at J-O-N-P-O-L-E. And on Instagram, the Pole Position Podcast. If you enjoy what we're doing... Do me a favor. Share it with someone you trust. We're going to take over the world together. I am John Paul, and I love you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. Thank you very little. Thank you so much. No, I'm here, 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 here